Hey, it's Chase from On The Table Gaming, and this week we're sitting down with the CMON development manager and a Song of Ice and Fire game designer, Michael Chanal, and lead developer, Fabio Curry, to talk about the newly released Greyjoy Combat Units, as well as the second Visions in the Flame article, Control, in 2021. Michael and Fabio, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. Hey guys, always great to be here, as usual. Chase, good to talk to you again. So we're going to get to this Visions of the Flame article, and boy was that a doozy. But before we do that, let's talk about these Greyjoy combat units that got revealed this past Tuesday. You know, we now have a chance to see the stats and point values for the Ironborn Reavers, the Ironborn Bowmen, the House Harlaw Reapers, and the Greyjoy Ironmakers. These units look fantastic. Is there any particular unit that you're a big fan of? I'd say that out of all these units, I probably like the Reavers the most. But I, I usually have that feeling with all the, uh, let's say, backbone units of, of each army because they really represent the core design of, of each army. And what about the sculpts on those? Those are phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed the Greyjoy aesthetic. And I'd say the Iron Makers look really cool and the the house harlow reapers look fantastic as well i really love their weapons and yeah i mean you're creating a little bit of a problem here you realize right with each of these units looking so fantastic like i think we're gonna see a lot of Greyjoy players so funny enough actually when you mentioned the uh the house harlow reapers and their weapons in particular back when we released uh talked about some of these units back in oh wow it was may this year has gone by so quickly. Back when we talked about them in May at the Simon Expo, they were actually, I mentioned a unit that we had to redesign the weapons for based on some of our, you know, continual George Martin feedback. And actually, that was the House Harlow Reapers, which, by the way, are my favorite designed unit that we have shown so far for the Greyjoys. But their weapon originally was a giant war scythe based on their house sigil. Uh, unfortunately, though, as cool as that initial design was, it was pointed out to us by George and them that scythes were not a wartime weapon. As much as we associate them with like fantasy and stuff, they were a farming instrument. So this would be the equivalent of like, you know, dual wielding spades out in combat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unfortunately, we had to change those to something a little bit more war fitting, which is where those big bar ditches uh, came from. So that's just a little like background to the design process. And, you know, uh, how it, it was one of the very few times that we have received like, well, you're gonna have to make some, I'm not even gonna say major modifications because frankly, changing the scythe to a Bardich is not like the biggest thing in the world. But you know, that's just showing the type of um, uh, involvement that, you know, George and you know his group has in, in this is that, you know, when they see something like that, you know, they always give us our, their feedback. Usually that comes down to specific character traits and things of that nature. Like I've gone on about Arya's nose, um, I think tons of times over the last three years, but this was one of the few times where they were, had feedback on the weapons. And, you know, that was a, a change that we made there. But again, the House Harlow Reapers, I would say, visually are probably my favorite unit just because we gave them this cool hood design. We went with the original, like, Scythe. Okay, sure, they don't have those, but they've got these really cool, wicked-looking bar ditches and everything. But really, the whole Greyjoy aesthetic, you know, that whole semi-Viking, raider, drowned god, you know, approach, it just, it looks really cool. And it, to me, um... It embodies a lot of the old, uh, I want to say like Conan aesthetic, where if you saw any of his enemies that he fought that were typically like the uh, the Cthulhu-esque, yeah. you know, there was a lot of you know inspiration coming from even the Greyjoys and the Drowned God, you know, those, you can still see those. 
And, you know, those are hinted at here with like the Kraken imagery and, you know, the other uh, squid stuff. It's just something about like when you look at the sculpts, it just it definitely evokes that like it's like a, a nostalgia for something that I can't quite put my finger on that. I'm just like, ah, oh, like I know I'm going to have to get these miniatures because they're so great. And this is going to be really interesting because this is the first time we've had a faction drop with so many options right at the start. How do you feel like that might impact the way uh, Greyjoy launches here? Well, so, you know, we usually before when we've released a faction, we try to release the starter box. And the ideology behind that was we would have the starter out for about a month or so. And then we would start releasing additional units. That wasn't all just for production reasons. That was also done to like, hey, here's the starter box. Let you guys get like kind of acquainted with how this plays. And then we'll give you more stuff. Basically, we didn't want to overwhelm people at the initial launch. The thing is, is that through fan feedback and everything, people have just said, you know, well, we want options at the start. You know, they want to be able to build diverse lists and everything. So when we moved to quarterly releases, this kind of fell in along the lines of that. So when we launch a faction, Greyjoy's being the first one to have this, you know, they come out with their starter box. They come out with their hero box, which, you know, players know is the the single biggest like game changer for a faction because it provides the most options and variety uh, of any release, you know, you know, we can release multiple units, which we're doing here, we're releasing two additional units outside the starter box. But those hero boxes are ones that really shake up gameplay because commanders, you know, they dictate your play style. NCUs change your sub tactics and everything. So releasing with this, um, you know, kind of this in mind, you're going to have just a ton of different play styles right out of the gate. So, you know, you're not going to have it where you're going to go through this few months span where like Greyjoys are like, oh, well, they do this. Uh, like, for example, when the Night's Watch came out, people associated them with being the healing faction because Jon Snow was the primarily uh, played commander and his whole thing is healing. Well, even though that's just limited to him versus like Donald Noy, who's defense or Alistair Thorne, who is about causing negative status effects to the enemies. Those are varying play styles. But when you only have a few options, the faction identity becomes rooted around those options. And that creates a perception issue. So now with the Greyjoys, you know, you have you can build the Iron Maker, you know, list where you're just a bunch of tanks. You can build the Harlow list where you're just playing a bunch of, you know, panic damage. You can do a mixed arms list. And that's not even talking about the commanders. You know, you could build Balon where, you know, he's got some nasty tricks and basically is willing to sacrifice any of his own guys to win the game. You can build Euron, who is just about messing with your opponent in just devious ways. At a cost. At a cost. Oh, man. I'm so excited for this faction. It's crazy. And, you know, I think the the hype is only going to build here. So it was exciting to see this kind of roll out and the slow, slow teasers that you're putting out there. So far, it's been great. I'm so excited for next week and to see what more is in store for this faction. But simultaneously, you know, each week you guys have been putting out these Visions in the Flames article. So we are now at our second article. And, uh, you know, before we dive into the topic, if you guys haven't read the Visions in the Flame article, be sure to hop on over and give it a read through. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes for the podcast episode. But for those of that have or the people that are kind of reading through as we go here, um, the main topic was on control in 2021. So addressing control pieces in the game. And you start to address this in the article, and I'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit more. But so when we're talking about control in A Song of Ice and Fire, there's a lot of ways to control things. Uh, so what exactly are we talking about when we're looking at control in this instance? So we usually um, talk about control and people imagine um, shutting off abilities. And just the fact that people um, straight away imagine that shows us that we need to be a little more creative, I'd say. <laughs> So we challenged ourselves to not necessarily remove control for the, from the game, but dilute it into many other spread around abilities that 
might not necessarily by themselves be super, super efficient. But once you start uh, adding them up, then you obtain your control. Your faction should be uh, about control or your play style and not necessarily one single piece. And we also, uh, control does have a lot to do with battlefield positioning, but I'd say that is not the topic of this article. To get to that in a future date. <laughs> uh, was there a particular like philosophy you were trying to embody with these changes to control? Or was it just simply a matter of fact that like when the game first came out, you had less pieces and so you could kind of have things that were more definitively like it does this one thing really well, better than everything else. And now as the game has grown, you want to kind of have a more variety of pieces. Well, it really comes down to just an overarching mindset, as Fabio touched on here. When it comes down to, I don't want to say like specific elements of control, but more broad levels of control. As we touched on in the article, two of the specific pieces that we were dealing with were Varus and Walder, and that was namely because they were accessible to everyone. Those are both elements of control in very specific ways, with Varus controlling the NCU and the tactics board, and Walder controlling unit abilities. Those are both just two of the more kind of obvious elements of control. There are other ways to control things, such as via use of tactics cards, controlling, you know, positioning across the battlefield. Uh, attack dice, losing abilities is, you know, that's just the most apparent one. It's the one that people tend to remember. And of the P of the elements in the game that cause that, Varus and Walder are the most mainstay ones, partly because they're available to everyone. So this is kind of harkens back to when we were discussing the Flayed Men around this time last year. Mm. It was mainly the the neutral philosophy of not everyone should have access to this. This should be limited to a specific faction or to a specific commander or something you're having to build around. That was the issue with the Flayed Men. It was not because like they were you know, winning every single tournament they entered. In fact, tournament data was showing the opposite. It was more so they were creating two negative play experiences. One, everyone having access to a two plus save, which was not something that we wanted the overarching design space for everyone to do. And two, it was creating a situation where... It was one of those kind of no-think situations. I could take Flaidman, and I have a 2-plus save. My opponent is going to have to figure out some means of dealing with them. I'm not really having to do anything super smart about it. I just have this piece that my opponent has to find an answer to. And that's kind of the inverse of when it comes to pieces like Walder and Varus, where it is, there is a piece that my opponent, I don't necessarily want to deal with. Instead of having to think tactically or find some actual like rewarding solution to figuring out how to beat that, I can just turn it off. And that's not an element we wanted to see in the game, uh, except in some like rare situations or when that's actually like you're building around that. But essentially, so take the example of Walter. He can turn off a unit's abilities. Well, you're going to turn off a unit's abilities that you find a unit particularly scary. If you can just shut them, shut off their abilities, then okay, that's I don't have to think about that. That it's just done. Boom. Yes, there's some situation, some stipulations to setting up with Walter, but essentially it's going like, how do I fix this problem? Oh, I just make the problem go away versus actually having to think this. is These are the pieces I've chosen in my army. This is the strategy and tactics that I have access to. How do I utilize those to overcome this problem? That is the mindset that we really want players to be you know, coming into. So if you have an army like, oh, man, you know, here's a unit that has a really you know, scary set of abilities if I attack them directly. Okay, well, I can just Walder them. That really shouldn't be the foremost like thought in your mind. It should be, okay, I'm playing X army. I can get around them via panic damage. I can get around them because I've got faster positioning than them. I can get around them because I've got means of punching through their defense. 
It should be, you know, these are active choices that I'm making versus just, you know, I'm just going to hit a switch and make them turn off. So those type of elements of hard control that effectively don't require you to think too much about it. Those are the type of things we want to tone down, not to say remove them entirely, but more focus them, you know, because like Lannisters, they're a control army. They're going to have control elements. If anyone should have effects that are like the old Walder and Varus, it would be in Lannisters. But that's an active choice you've made. That's how you are dealing with those things. Starks, meanwhile, you know, same problem. They might take an entirely different approach to going about finding the solution to that uh, to that particular problem piece. But that's built around the faction and the unit and the commanders that they've chosen, not just one piece that can go, no. I'd like to add um, on top of that, since Michael talked about the Lannisters, that we did choose Varys and Walder on the article specifically because they are the obvious examples. But this was done across the board. So control has been polished in every single faction and every single army. So it will be a thinking choice, like uh, such as Michael said. It's really fascinating what you've done here. Uh, this wasn't what I was expecting. So Walder Frey went from kind of being like a binary, like on-off thing, to now you can only activate Walder if you have no other units that can activate this round. So you basically go with him last. And then when Walder claims a zone, you may replace that zone's effect with the effect of any zone. But if he claims the crown zone... You replace that zone's effect with one enemy becomes weakened. One friendly unit restores two wounds in itself. Awesome. And then at the start of the next round, you become first player, which is huge. So you can set up some like great attacks with that combo. But there's definitely an obvious way to kind of play around this ability. And at the same time, there may be, you know, situations where you are in a pressure uh, point where you you can't stop it or you maybe choose not to. But it definitely I love the way it has this sort of baked in counterplay component. It just seems like you're adding more choice to the game, more choice points. Yeah, uh, part of the root design of uh, Song of Ice and Fire and its core, um, let's say, feeling that it should pass is that it is a game that is easy to learn, but it should be very deep and hard to master. So once again, uh, just uh, no-brainer decisions are usually detrimental to that philosophy. So we did try to bring back everything to its roots. So one of like the core dynamics of the game should always be the push and pull of war. You know, you shouldn't always get what you want. And it's all about making those hard decisions and trade-offs. I'm going to get something, but my opponent, you know, I'm going to have to sacrifice something potentially that my opponent can capitalize on. That's really the whole like ebb and flow of the game. Walter is a good example of that because you're going to get this powerful effect. You know, it's going to happen but your opponent can see it coming a mile away. So they have time to strategize and prepare and potentially counter for that. This is an example of, you know, a very powerful effect with Walder here, but there is counterplay to it because he is coming late to the party. You know, so your opponent has this setup that, uh, that they can do against him. Uh, same thing with Varus here, for example. Varus is directly as powerful as the opponent is going to let him be at any time. He basically says, you know, oh, you want to get something cool? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of this for myself as well. So, you know, you want to make this big play here and everything. Okay, that's fine. But I'm going to get a little bit for that as well. And, you know, that's really the type of push that we're doing more toward control aspects rather than just hard denial. Control, when we're trying to basically redefine it and move it back to its, um, I guess, original roots here. The idea is not so much of just the word no or you can't. It's 
sure, you can do this, but... And that's kind of one of the, the philosophies behind it. So it's like the most Chanel thing ever. <laughs> that's, that, you can do this, but at a cost. Listen, I'm, I'm getting a little <laughs> tired of the whole like crossroads devil analogy here. OK, it's, it's springing up a little too many times, but that's really fitting for this situation here specifically. <laughs> you know, it's that's elements of control. It's like like actually, if you look at like the Ramsey Bolton guard uh, sadistic games, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite examples and kind of will fit this this mentality. Here you go. Here's two terrible options, but your opponent gets to pick which one of those terrible options. It's that's a more extreme version, but that's kind of what we're showing here is control should be pushing your opponent toward doing what you want them to do, but not necessarily outright forcing them. Unless, of course, you know, you set up a clever play or something where you give them, you know, oh, yeah, you had the choice, but, you know, you didn't really have the choice. You know, those type of plays. Now, and a lot of times I think people looking at these articles, uh, what you guys are showing here it looks amazing, gets people really excited. There are some people that read change is coming and change is scary. They get worried especially if they've invested in uh, armies that are central centered around, you know, control, you know, should factions, you already talked about Lannisters a little bit. And, and you mentioned how control is like a core part of their identity. Should Lannister players or people that really focus on control style of play be concerned that the game will be somewhat unrecognizable for their faction? Like is the core identity going to shift in, in any significant way that they should maybe be prepared for? Oh, actually oh, quite, quite, quite the opposite. I would say here. Uh, if you're a Lannister and you actually and you, you know, you want to play Lannisters because you like that intrigue and subterfuge and manipulation and just like, yes, you've fallen for my Machiavellian schemes. Uh, things are being pushed more in that direction. Just again, it's less hard, you know, big atomic bomb style like, ha ha, I've shut this down. And more of those, you know, sitting those little spider webs out there and everything and just watching someone slowly entangling themselves up into it and everything before now they can't move. You know, you're going to see more of those smaller little elements of control sprinkled throughout things rather than just those big, you know, single moment ones. Like everyone remembers that one game where, you know, you had Varus and he just shut down, you know, four tokens, four out of four rolls, four critical plays. No one really remembers the, oh, remember when he failed all of those rolls and he was entirely useless? No one remembers <laughs> those games. And so we're basically bringing that to a medium, just like we did with the panic damage uh, change in the 1.5 update. You know, this is about bringing things to a medium. So it's more spread across the entire game. Uh, so you're going to see more of it, you know, in just smaller doses, less extremes. Fabio, would you say that this maybe opens up more room for smaller pieces to maneuver and and be used? Um, yeah, I that's a very good point, actually. So this will allow players to have smaller uh, and uh, once again, more diluted elements of control in their army, which means that they don't necessarily have to go all in with this playstyle. But it will help players that do decide to go all in, because if you're forcing your opponent to always make hard choices, if, if they make a couple of consecutive mistakes, um, that will go more in your favor now, because uh, like Michael said, they're falling into your web. <laughs> I, I really like that analogy. So every time you you string a piece of web, um, it really depends on how you're going to catch your opponent. And the opportunity to catch them off guard is is greater if they have more elements to be concerned about rather than 
oh, should I use my Walder to shut down his Walder? So I forget the person's name in the community now, but there was someone who did an absolutely beautiful uh, Varus with little birds, like little actual children tokens to help them keep track of how many order tokens they have. Boy, boy, did a wave of reassurance sweep over us and we uh, we saw that it still has four order tokens. So that, that scope will still be the same. Did you guys see that miniature by any chance? Yeah, and uh, that was amazing. I'd really like to congratulate the person. I also don't know their name, but uh, shout out to you. Good job. (laughs) And well, uh, when I saw that, I actually did stop and check the files again, just to be sure we had four order tokens. Oh, no. (laughs) Because I was like, that would be a shame. But luckily, he still has four order tokens. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the same sentiments when uh, when I saw that, too. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Man, I'm really glad that guy's not going to be disappointed. Because <laughs> I felt genuinely bad. I'm like, oh, man, I remember during, you know, our dev cycle when we were like junctioning between three and four tokens for Varus. So I guess, you know, sometimes things just work out. That was a, clo- a close call there. Cool. Like, kind of hinting on what you just mentioned is that you guys are really present in the community. So, you know, while I have you here, I know we're going to have some more time to talk about future articles. But thank you guys so much for, for all that you're doing and, uh, you know, that you're out there listening and and watching and seeing the cool stuff people are putting out there and uh you know taking note of that so you know just thank you so much for your you know your kind of presence that you have in the community well i'd like actually to thank everyone from the community that uh, does say a lot of things and listening is uh very interesting actually so um i'd say that i learn a lot from just um keeping track of what everyone is saying people's opinions positive and negative and always take all of them into consideration. So uh, I'd say I don't write that much, but I'm always reading. So, you know, in preparing for this talk, actually, I noticed that at the end of last episode, Michael, you actually dropped a little hint as to the topic of this week's article with that little bird's comment. Um, so you, you certainly are the master of clues and whispers. So Fabio, I don't know, do you wanna, do you wanna take a shot at dropping a subtle clue for uh, what uh, we might be talking about in the future? Hmm. Does it make it not subtle if I just call it out? <laughs> I, I was not going to comment at all on that. <laughs> I was... yeah, Michael, we got to like... <laughs> no, everyone's just reading into everything now. And I was like, oh. And I was like, people read so much into stuff. And then I was listening. I was like, wait a, wait a second. He did I mean, do I, that. I can say that, you know, the next article is going to have a lot of math. Like a lot of math. All right. Sweet. Uh, there we go. The There's scar- our scariest thing of all. <laughs> the scariest thing of all, some math there. Okay, that's a good way. We'll leave it out there for for next time. Thank you guys so much for coming on and and just chatting and and you know filling us in on some of the thoughts behind your visions of flames articles. I know some of these ones coming up are really big ones, but there's a lot to unpack. And I thought this one was really fascinating. Just it's just so clear in the change, and I think maybe unfortunately some of it was self evident that the way you're switching things up. It, it's just adding so much more choice into the game and it actually is going to make it even more like another layer of nuance and depth that we can kind of recaptivate in it. So I'm really excited to see how these pan out. And uh, what I'm really looking forward to is uh, getting all these changes and then getting my miniatures on the table. 